Welcome to Being the Bat. I'm your host, Dr. Stacy. Each week, I invite a guest to share their experiences of being a person of color in white spaces. Today's topic, golfing while Black. The history of the African-American golfer began in the caddy shacks of American golf clubs. In 1925, the United Golfers Association was developed. It's kind of analogous to the Negro League of Baseball. Black people have made major contributions in the golfing industry, but it is largely considered a white sport. There are stories of the police being called on black women for playing too slow, or country clubs not being open to African-Americans. Despite these challenges, our guest daughter today has found a way to thrive while golfing and being black. Clemmie Perry is a founder and executive director of the Women of Color Golf, W-O-C-G, and the Girls on the Green Tee, G-O-T-G-T-T. The mission of Women of Color Golf and Girls on the Green Tee is to promote and facilitate the inclusion of minority women and girls in the game of golf. WOCG seeks to create a, to create a spark of interest and inspiration in the game of golf. This inspiration then turned into action with organized golf clinics, recreational golf events, business networking, and mentoring opportunities. WOCG started in 2014, and in just three short years, they've introduced over 350 minority women and girls to the basic fundamentals of golf in the Tampa and St. Pete, Florida area, and Washington, D.C. Women of Color Golf and Girls on the Green Tee programs have grown into nationally recognized community-based organizations, with recent recognition by the former president, Barack Obama, as a White House champion of change for after-school programs for marginalized girls. Women of Color Golf has been featured in Forbes Magazine, Editing, Black Enterprise, Onyx Magazine, Golf for Her, and Professional Golf. Professional Golf Association Magazine, the African American Golfers Digest, and several local media outlets. Clemmie Perry has over 20 years of experience working for two Fortune 500 companies, Lockheed Martin Corporation and Florida Power and Light Company. At Lockheed Martin Corporation, Ms. Perry served as the corporate e-learning training manager. She was responsible for managing virtual learning teams and developing online corporate training materials for 130,000 aerospace and defense employees at Florida Light Company in Miami. She was responsible for electrical distribution systems, training and implementation of smart grid and smart meter technology training programs. Clemmie earned her BS degree from Florida A&M, Bo Rattlers, and an MS from Nova Southeastern University in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. She's a member of the National Council of Negro Women, Florida A&M Alumni Association, National Football League Cheerleader Alumni Association, and Executive Women Golf Association. She currently serves on the World Golf Foundation's Diversity and Inclusion Task Force and as a board member for the Florida Sports Hall of Fame. Being the Dot listeners, please, let's welcome Ms. Clemmie Perry to the podcast. Well, well, thank you. 
Thank you for inviting me. Oh, I'm so thrilled that you're here. I'm excited to just talk with you about your journey and yes. um, how you've remade uh, your career and trajectory and, and all the ways that you've been able to um, make a contribution. One of the things that I was aware of, Pemi, as I was preparing is that we could talk to you about being the dot in a number of situations, whether that is your career as an NFL uh, professional cheerleader or mm-hmm. your career in tech. Um, but, yes. we'll, but we'll focus on golf today. And, okay. um, and then if there's time to delve into some of the other things, um, we'll do that. Or if there's an opportunity, maybe we can do a part two. All right. Well, thank you. And I just love what you're doing. And I just thought the name being the dot was so unique and creative, um, you know, just as you are, uh, you know, Dr. Stacy. And uh, I'm glad that you're doing it. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. So you've had an illustrious career at Lockheed and then, of course, in the NFL and with uh, Florida Light as well. Mm-hmm. But tell us a little bit about your journey to golf. Oh, wow. That's very interesting. So my journey to golf um, was an untraditional route. Um, I was a middle-aged African-American woman and a corporate executive, as you had uh, mentioned in the bio. And while I was working um, in aerospace and defense with Lockheed Martin, uh, it was a time where they were downsizing and I actually end up losing my job. And when I lost my job, I said to myself, well, you've always wanted to play golf. So now is the time. And the story, um, like I said, uh, a set of golf clubs uh, we found on an old trash pile. Yeah, it's just a beautiful story. And my brother knew I wanted to play. And so he said, you're going to learn to play in this downtime. And we, um, the other brother bought me lessons because, you know, I'd just been laid off. And about, and about six months later, um, you know, the pro said, you know, you can get rid of those old clubs uh, you found on a trash pile. You're, you're hitting pretty good. And I thought, well, let's try it. So she went and got me fitted and I started playing. And she said, if you can hit like that with an old set of clubs on a trash pile, let's see what you can do with newer, lighter weight technology. And I ended up just loving it. I play mostly recreationally and for fun. But as I was playing, I began to see that there were not women, many women that looked like myself. And I thought, well, you have to change this. And so I ended up taking my severance package from Lockheed Martin and starting Women of Color Golf. And I never looked back. And so, like you mentioned, in um, five years, we have trained about 500 minority women and girls. And that little one-inch diameter golf ball in size will change the trajectory of your life. Because it literally took me from uh, Tampa, Florida, all the way to the White House twice under President Obama's administration and then we had an opportunity to travel in 2018 with Dr. Renee Powell, who is um, just a legend. She and her family and golf. Yeah. At PGA Hall mm-hmm. of Fame. And we traveled with her to the birthplace of golf, Scotland, wow. uh, to witness 
a building being dedicated in her honor. So it has just been um, the most remarkable experience mm-hmm. of my mm-hmm. life um, to be engaged in this sport and uh, to have found those set of clubs. That I, that's that's staggering. I absolutely love that mm-hmm. story so much um, in so many ways. I mean, you talk about the little ball changing the trajectory of your life. And, and it used to be, as you were climbing the career ladder, the adage was that you needed to learn how to play tennis and golf, or, or golf, because those were the meetings that happened before the meeting. And uh, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about maybe some of the things that you saw in that vein or you experienced in that vein as you were socializing yourself into the golfing community. So this is what I'll share with you. And I always like to kind of start with, and that's a great question, with facts. So I'll start there first. And the fact is, if you are not currently playing golf, you are automatically limiting your income and business potential. Mm -hmm. My goodness. And I always say, I like to repeat that for your listeners. Yeah, please do. If you are not currently playing golf, you are automatically limiting your income and business potential, period. And I say that because when we talk about the facts in golf, and I always like an opportunity. So again, thank you for allowing me on this podcast to share why we should play. Well, I can tell you that golf is an 85 billion, billion dollar business. And that is a space that typically, like you mentioned, people of color are not in. And we'll talk about those demographics and statistics a little bit later. And so when you talk about corporate America and the workspace, you know, like you said, uh, typically we are driven to tennis, basketball, and baseball. But there are approximately 30 million people that play the game in the United States and 90% of fortune 500 CEOs play golf. So there's part of your answer right there. Say that it, say that again, please. 90% of fortune 500 CEOs play golf. So I remember, so you're going to make me go and find some, find a trash pile of golf clubs. (laughs) Right well, now. you know, you and I have had this conversation. I know, so I, I know. So so I won't call you out, Doctor Stacy, uh, on your listeners. No, I think you, I think you are. <laughs> You're calling me out on my own podcast. <laughs> it's all right. Talk your talk, sister. Go, just go. <laughs> and, and I know with what you do with students and uh, in the academic arena, you know, this is a perfect platform and a time for them to share this information. Cause I know when I was at Florida A&M, you know, this was not the discussion that was being held. And playing golf, uh, you know, will help get you number one access and the opportunity to be in front of those CEOs. And so that is one way that is going to help benefit you. But again, if you can, um, you know, look at the data, 
um, 90% of those who are CEOs in Fortune 500 companies do play. I will share with you that executives who play golf make an average of 17% more than those who do not play. So from an economic standpoint, there's another benefit. And we like to talk about, you know, the business benefits of golf. It also provides for face-to-face -face time to spend four quality hours, you know, with a company CEO, or uh, if you're in business with, you know, a valued customer. And really, I mean, you know, what I've found in, in the five years that I've been is that it opens doors to new prospects and business contacts. So if you're not in the corporate arena, but you are a business owner, it's going to open those new doors to new business contacts and sales and deals. And then if you are a business woman, playing golf is an even greater advantage. So, so did you see when you were, were first starting and as you have, so now it's been what it's been, Six years? Five years. Five years. Yeah. Okay. Five years. All right. So have you, have you, tell us about things that you have seen in this culture that, that kind of unpack the statistics that you just shared with us? Oh yeah, sure. Well, um, and, and, and I will go back and, because uh, I know you and I, we, we like statistics and data points. So uh, clearly the research and the evidence, um, I had a very... Uh, dear colleague, Dr. Mike Cooper, who serves on the World Golf Task Force Diversity uh, and Inclusion Task Force as the chair. Mm -hmm. And he has done uh, a lot of the research that I am sharing with you today uh, about that. And mm -hmm. so when you talk about the impact, let's go back to the numbers for a minute. So if you have about, you know, 30 million people who play it uh, in the U.S., only 19% mm. of that are women. Sure. Now, in terms of minorities, that 19% drops to four. Right. In terms of women of color, mm -hmm. that drops to less than 1%. Woo! Wow. So my data points were very clear. Yeah, sure. Less than 1% is a woman of color. Now that is some dot stuff right there. You are the dot on the mm -hmm. golf course for sure. You are the dot. It's interesting because I was trying to do my, some research prior to our time together. And I could not find that number of African-Americans, people of color in golf. I saw the 30 million. I saw the number mm -hmm. of women. I looked at the generational, but there was nobody reporting on the numbers of people of color. Mm -hmm. Well, Dr. Michael Cooper is um, mm -hmm. just, um, the individual that has been doing that research for, for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And he, um, you know, helped me get involved. And once I started seeing that and, being mm -hmm. in training as well and like yourself mm -hmm. um the importance of education academia sure. and anything that is going to advance our culture mm -hmm. when i saw the less than one percent it weighed heavily on my heart that you know half of your life was over 
-hmm. but you could use the rest of your life mm -hmm. to make a change and get more women and girls of color into golf. And so that little golf ball mm -hmm. helped me to find my life's calling. So tell us more about your work with the women of color um, golf. Mm -hmm. Sure. So with the women of color golf, um, we um, have several programs. Uh, one is our beginner golf lessons, uh, our golf 101 class, and that's a five week series. And we typically um, train them, you know, indoors at Top Golf. Uh, we like to start them in Florida indoors at first because usually it's so hot here. So we want that experience initially to be a good experience. Sure. And to get you comfortable. Mm hmm. And then on the fifth week, we actually take them out to play um, one hole with the instructor. Uh, we work with a PGA professional, Mr. Jim Wright, who has been in the industry for over 40 years. And uh -huh. he has been very supportive of us from day one. And then after the beginner golf course uh, lessons, we go to an intermediate series where uh, the fundamentals that you learned are reinforced. Mm -hmm. And then after that, we move you to what is called on-course play. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you know, we begin uh, what we do for beginners, our monthly league play, our monthly nine-hole mm -hmm. league play. Mm -hmm. uh, our girls mentoring program is called Girls on the Green Tea, and we have had partnerships with the Center for Girls for several years now. So every summer, we work with the Florida Junior Golf Council. Uh, and the children's board, and we conduct summer golf classes for the mm -hmm. girls in those summer camps. In the fall, wow. we are planning to partner with Hillsborough County Public Schools uh, at an elementary school that is actually named after my grandmother, Clemmy Ross James Elementary. Mm -hmm. So my life mission is that um, I will be dedicating uh, my time there at uh, Ele James Elementary to set up Jaguars Girls Golf Program nice. beginning this year um, and hopefully just, um, you know, until infancy, until eternity. That's awesome. That's awesome. So when you when you when you lay out those numbers that there's people behind that. And so less than one percent yes. of those 30 million people. Yes. Are women of color. That's correct. So and that's what, a problem. What, well, tell me about if you mm -hmm. if you could tell us about your experience of that and what it felt like for you to be that one percent, less mm -hmm. than one percent. Hmm, that's a great question. Well, um, Dr. Stacy, it's like what you said. I mean, as I look at my life, and I did not realize it until you actually started this podcast, because you know we just tend to move and operate in two, in two worlds. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, so for me, um, you know, it was just really very evident at the golf course because all you would primarily see would be either men or white males. So, I mean, mm -hmm. it was, it was just really glaring. Mm -hmm. um, and I just knew that, you know, with the skills that, you know, I had from my training background, um, I customized a golf workbook with the PGA Pro because I didn't see any books that were representative of people that look like myself. So we, <laughs> wrote, we wrote our own golf curriculum Okay. Um, with the PGA Pro with images of, you know, uh, that, were, that were diverse and reflective mm -hmm. of, you know, how we would, would like for our country to be. 
you know, but for me, I, I guess I've just been so socialized in, in being the dot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really just about, okay, what do I need to do to excel and be accepted in this space? Mm-hmm. And so part of the way it sounded like you dealt with the, the hyper white space, if you will, was to find ways to be excel and mm-hmm. to try to be accepted. Right. And for me, it was, you know, just using, you know, you know, I wasn't a golfer. I didn't grow up in the industry. You know, my family, you know, wasn't, you know, like most of us, if you're, um, you know, in my generation, you know, our parents weren't even allowed to go to a golf course. So it was just a space that, you know, typically most of us are not introduced to. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when I got in it, like I said, in five short years for, to go from a set of golf clubs on a trash pile to the birthplace of golf and witness an African-American woman receive a dedication of a building. I mean, that's a real life experience. Mm -hmm. That's definitely thriving in white spaces. If you, you said I was working to excel and to be accepted. And and what, what that connotes for me, Clinton, is that you were aware that maybe you wouldn't be accepted or you weren't being accepted well, I think it's just like with anything. So a couple points there. Um, you got to remember, I did not have a golf background. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I started middle age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was an African-American woman of color. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I was stepping into a really big unknown. Sure. A, mm-hmm. a really big unknown space. But what mm-hmm. I did know was that the experiences and the knowledges I had gained from being in corporate America in terms of how to navigate in a culturally mm-hmm. diverse space in terms of, okay, how would you do this training differently? What would mm-hmm. you do to bring in a minority woman into this space so that mm-hmm. they would feel comfortable? So I had to think differently and think outside mm-hmm. of the box because we typically, whether you are a minority woman or a woman in general, you're not just going to drive your car up to a golf course and say, hi, I'm here. I want to take lessons. Sure. Sure. So I just use what I knew, you know, the principles of how people learn, uh, adult learning theories and, you know, how women tend to operate in the world. You know, we like groups. We like to be included. You know, we want we right. want a structured guided curriculum. We want to know mm-hmm. what's going to happen to us the moment we step onto, you know, the clubhouse. Right. Right. And so again, I just used the skills that I had because I had no experience in golf. I had no background in golf. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a, sure. a family that came from golf, but I always right. liked sports. So it was just really a matter of, um, you know, making life what you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, um, and again, this morning and working to prep for our time together, uh, there was an article, I think in the PGA magazine, um, a golf week. And they interviewed a series of black golfers to talk some about what they experienced. Right. And there is, uh, and both good and bad. And uh, there is a story um, by one of the golfers, Mariah Stackhouse, right? 
And so she talked about um, one day she was going back to the clubhouse and the person, the security guard or somebody asked her for her ID. And when she showed it to them and that she was a player, that the um, the security guard said, well, a player? Well, that's shocking. And uh, and so it was basically what we would call in my field a microaggression. That some kind of daily slight or uh, words or something that really reminds you uh, that you are Black. And I'm wondering... Have you had any of those kinds of incidences like Mariah um, that that there's been a slight or something that was said or some behavior towards you that reminded you in that moment, not that you needed reminding, but reminded you in that moment that you were a black person in a white space? Well, I can honestly say for me, I've not experienced that on the golf course, but I have experienced it in corporate America. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And um, an example of that would be when I was actually working for um, the electrical utility company mm-hmm. and I was over communications for when a storm would occur. And my job would be to um, make sure that we report all the facts in terms of how many poles were down, um, how many wires and mm-hmm. cables, where were the trucks um, headed? And so I spoke a lot with the media. And during um, those types of events, typically um, you have a a huge staging area where, you know, everyone reports to from, you know, all over the state um, to support the storm restoration process. And my assignment at that time, I'll never forget it, was in Daytona Beach, Florida at at the racetrack. And so all these people from all over, you report there, you get your assignment uh, so that you can help get power restored back quickly. And when I walked up to enter into the staging site to get my assignment and I said um, to the person that greeted me, hi, you know, you know, I'm here for the storm uh, restoration duty. And the gentleman immediately said to me, oh, okay, um, well, I will take you to the wash area. I said, the wash area? He said, yeah, um, you know, the washroom area where you'll be washing all the laundry for the linemen. And I said, sir, um, I'm over communications for the media. And what did he say? He just apologized. But that one I just never forgot. So he he assumed I was there to do the laundry. And I'm talking, you're talking laundry for thousands of people on a Daytona Speedway. Think about that. Wow. You know, we're living out of, you know, tents and camps. And so he thought I was the washwoman. So what's one of the widest experiences that you found yourself in as relates to golf? Yeah. So every now and then I find myself in a situation like, wow, this is hyper white. This is like, there's not a black person for miles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably the PGA merchandise show. Yeah, that's okay. where all of the industry professionals come together uh-huh. uh, from all over the world. And that's definitely when you see it. And that's held mm-hmm. every year in Orlando. 
Um, mm-hmm. But it is, you know, where you get a lot of your education mm-hmm. in terms of um, what's going on with equipment, what's going on with technology, you know, what's going on with uh, the best way to improve your swing. I mean, and I mean, these people come from all over the world. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course, with the numbers that I shared with you, if only 4% of us are minorities, right? you can imagine in, in that space, you are definitely the dot. Mm-hmm. Have any of the women that uh, are in the Women of Color Golf Group or in the GOG, GOTG T group uh, had mm-hmm. experiences that they've shared with you around um, racism and that kind of thing? Yes, they... Um, Sometimes they have, you know, typically when they will show up um, to a golf course and they're in the clubhouse, mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of like uh, the, the the commercial that they have, the look. I don't know if you have seen that mm-hmm. with the black man where when they walk into an elevator, everyone gives that that glaring staging look like, wait a minute, it's a black man. Yeah, that look. <laughs> So typically when they um, show up at a, at a golf course um, and then I think a couple of times, there's been a few comments, you know, Oh, we've got a different kind of golfer here today. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just try to, you know, like, you know, what we do peacefully move about, you know, our golf game and continue to play. Yeah. Have you heard of the story where the uh, black woman, I can't remember what state it was in now, uh-huh. uh, where the police were called on them for golfing too slow? Oh, yes. That's a huge article. Mm-hmm. So tell me, t- tell us, can you unpack that for us just a little bit what you know about <laughs> it? And then I would love to hear your reaction around it. Ooh. That would be a difficult one to unpack, but uh, typically when you are um, playing slow on a golf course, you let the people behind you go ahead. So that's a that's a pretty simple process. So really just to unpack that, you know, it would have been courteous uh, if they felt that the women were playing too slow um, that they just move ahead to the hole in front of them. But that did not happen. And, you know, as we know, pieces of the story, and I know that's uh, still under um, litigation, you know, they call the police on them. But that's that's not uncommon that someone in front of you, you know, might be slow. And the, the protocol is that you would, you know, allow them to go in front of you and keep, and keep mm-hmm. the pace of play moving. And... Um, it was a very disturbing situation, um, and I do know uh, the ladies have brought a lot of, you know, attention around it, uh, and, mm-hmm. and the PGA um, is definitely, I, I do believe the PGA is working towards trying to make a lot of their facilities more aware of, you know, cultural mm-hmm. sensitivities and being more mm-hmm. diverse and welcoming to people sure. of color. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is it common to call the police? No, on? not at okay, all. Not at all. No. Okay. Just no, oh, no, that was it. Yeah. It would be um, protocol to just, you know, allow the, the other golfers to go ahead of you. Well, it's interesting because it, it, it 
echoes, and I guess what's your reaction to the way that that was handled from what you know about it? Oh, it was definitely handled inappropriately. It was, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, I mean, we were, we were just very disturbed by it as women of color. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, sure. And it was, it was frustrating. And again, mm-hmm. just another example of, you know, not welcoming us in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that because when I shared with you and the listeners at the beginning of the call, you see why it's important to be in this space. $85 billion industry where less than 1% of a woman of color is playing. Well, it's interesting, uh, Clint, because as I think about it, I think there's a social justice issue. Because in my head, and I could be wrong, but... But that golfing is not an inexpensive sport. Basketball, you go, you buy a basketball, you find you find something to throw it right. into. But that, that golfing is one of those sports, kind of like um, what field hockey, that the equipment and the tee time mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, um, all of those things are are not inexpensive. Is that an accurate? That is a great question. So I would say, and this is what I recommend, uh, you know, just like with anything and, you know, I I will be honest, you know, remember I was laid off. Right. I couldn't afford to buy a set of golf clubs. Um, So there are ways around it. You know, you could buy used clubs. Trust me, there are people that have clubs out here that don't want them, that will give them away. Um, You can initially just buy, you know, three or four clubs, the basic ones, you know, that you need. Mm -hmm. Uh, and just how much would that be? Because I don't even think our listeners, I don't know that. How much is that? Well, a, a full set or just individual? Oh, that could vary. But but, okay, but this is course. the way that you work around it. So I always say you don't need to go out and buy a $1,000 set of, set of clubs to get started. Mm-hmm. You know, there's Dick Sporting Goods where you can get a reasonable price set of clubs. Uh, you can okay. get used clubs. You can go sure. on eBay, you know. <laughs> You know, you can go on Facebook. So, you know, I would say, you know, um, you know, there's ways around that from the equipment. Don't go out and buy your first set at a thousand dollars and it's just going to sit in your garage and collect dust. Sure. That's one. Um, Number two, um, when I was on a furlough and maybe uh, if I, you know, couldn't afford to pay a round of golf at that time, I went and bought a bucket of balls for for eight dollars. How much is a round of golf? Oh, well, that, that's going to de- that's going to vary depending on what kind of golf course you're playing on. So if you're maybe on a public golf course and if you mm-hmm. maybe go online and get some deals and some specials, I would say probably and I'm estimating it thirty dollars. But a high end golf course for a round of golf yeah. will cost you mm-hmm. three fifty. Yeah, so it's a big range depending on where you're playing. Um, is it a public golf course or is it, you know, Innisbrook? <laughs> you know, those di- those prices are going to be different. So you you know you start playing at your public golf courses, and they offer a lot of discounts, a lot sure. of deals, uh, a lot of special prices. Um, you, I would say you can make it affordable based on your own budget. So if you can't afford to play, you know, every week, then play every other week. 
or go to the driving range and get, right, right, you know, right. a bucket of balls for, you know, eight dollars. And, and that's what I did initially in the beginning. I would just go to the driving range. And I will say this to you, though, Dr. Stacy, uh -huh, and I know uh -huh. you will know where I'm coming from with this. It is an investment in yourself. And we invest in, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. hair, ha handbooks, you know, mm -hmm. this would be an investment in your mm -hmm. health and well-being. And I, I bet, absolutely. Right. I mean, just the walking alone is pretty phenomenal. So, so one of the things that I'm aware of is, and just go with me for a second on this, if you will. Okay. That you said earlier that your income, mm -hmm. you are limiting your income if you aren't That's correct. golf. Right? And and that mm -hmm. golf is a game of the elite. And can it potentially open doors for you to be mm -hmm. for upward mobility? Mm -hmm. However, it's also cost. Mm -hmm. I was going to say cost exhausting, but you've given some options. But, it, but it's costly. It's not something that you're going to be able mm -hmm. to do right. cheap, necessarily. And and, there, and it, it mm -hmm. almost feels like there's a little systemic mm -hmm. elitism or racism involved with the game mm -hmm. because of the cost. And so it's not just that right. we are not welcoming right. in the, some of the ways that you shared, but that there are some intentional or unintentional, mm -hmm. I, I can't speak to that necessarily, ways that mm -hmm. absolutely that there are barriers that are put up to right to that is correct just like tennis mm -hmm. and hockey okay mm -hmm. yeah but what's also true is it is a route to upward mobility that is correct and then if you are shut out of that then you are shut out of that. That's correct. And that's why you have programs like the First Tee, like Women mm -hmm. of Color Golf, uh, like mm -hmm. Black Girls Golf, like Latino mm -hmm. Golfers of America. So there are a lot of us that are in the grassroots trenches that are trying to mm -hmm. change that so that we can give our youth um, and, you know, our women that what I always say, two key things that golf provides you access access mm -hmm. and opportunity now what you do with those two things sure. is up to you mm -hmm. access and opportunities well and what programs like women of color golf golf does is give you access to the access that's correct because ch that's chances good. are mm -hmm. that the average mm -hmm. person of color because it's not necessarily a generational sport that we are a sport that we've been involved in generational doesn't even know where to start. Like the only way I know how to start golfing is because of you. Right. And you know, that goes back to that simple, that simple premise, you know, if we see our mothers and other women in our lives doing something or moving forward, 
despite their fears, we know it's possible. And the best way for us to cultivate that fearlessness in our daughters and other young women is to do it by example. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I interviewed um, Earl Ship. Earl Ship was uh, one of the presidents at Golf uh, Chemical oh. for years and years and years. He worked there for, uh, for 40 years and retired and um, just achieved quite a mm-hmm. bit of um, um, excellence mm-hmm. during his time with that company. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he talks about is how important it is as you build your career trajectory to have a sense of adventure. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and that oftentimes that because we haven't had the experience or that we've not had the social resources that have made us open to those experiences, right. that, that we get held back on things because of that. And one of the examples that he gives is how can you work for an international corporation and not have a passport? Because you never know when they're going to need to send you to wherever. Right. Um, and that you need to be open to that. And so it sounds like that's part of what you're saying as well, is that a sense of adventure is pretty important. Right. And, you know, when we talked about um, golf giving you immediate access and visibility to the C-suite executives, because, you know, you, you can sit back in a corner and they never notice you. But if you can say that you play golf, now you've gotten immediate visibility. So it moves you from being invisible to mm-hmm. visible to senior leadership. Quickly. Well, and, and he, he tells the story as well, Clemmie. And you're going to love this because it's just like golf. He and his wife were taking a wine taster class. And he went to dinner with one of the company big wigs and his immediate boss at the time. And his boss left his glasses at um, home and couldn't find him. And so Earl Ship had to pick the wine. He got his next big promotion over a plant in Louisiana because he knew how to pick the wine and that man was impressed by that. Right. Golf is the same thing. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. But typically, um, you know, it is a game. Think about it of invitation. Mm-hmm. You have to be invited. Mm-hmm. Think about that. And so that's what organizations like Women of Color, um, that, you know, Black Girls Golf, Latino Golfers Association, when we saw that gap in that need, when you put together a group like that in a space that is typically white, where you are usually only the dot, well, it's like I said, we invited women to come to the class because you're not just going to drive up to the course and say, hi, I'm here. Well, and it, it allows you the space to be, com- uh, be vulnerable and clumsy and all of those things before it matters. That's correct. So you are Executive Director Clemming. I mean, Perry right now. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when Clemming started playing golf, she was an Executive Director. So what, <laughs> that's true. That's right. So what would that, that woman now, what would you, you now oh. tell yourself then? Or other people who are looking to hmm. for in into golfing. Oh, I, I, I would, I would have to say, Jess, you, you have to continue to encourage other women and girls of color to get into the game. I mean, it, it's just simple. It's as simple as that. 
you know, it's going to change their life. Whether, I mean, because, you know, golf mirrors life and particularly for young girls in terms of teaching you um, integrity, respect, responsibility, mm -hmm. discipline. And then the health benefits alone, particularly for people of color, are numerous. It helps to reduce, you know, our stress level. You know, it's good for your heart health. You burn calories while walking. Um, you're outdoors in the environment. Uh, one thing that people don't know about golf, and this is what I just found absolutely phenomenal, is that if you play golf, you have an increased life expectancy of about five years. What? Yes. That's deep. That's deep. Yes. And so all of the things that we've talked about, you know, are those facts that, you know, were not, you know, being shared. And when you think about it, look at what golf does. So it takes you full circle of life from health to wellness to wealth to a social environment. And it's a sport that you can play literally all your life. You know, because you, it's not, you know, so much stress on the on the body as some other sports. Sure. So when I realized that, look at how powerful that game is. Mm -hmm. I always say it's not just about swinging a club. Mm -hmm. It's all of those things mm -hmm. that we just talked about. Mm -hmm. You cannot lose by playing golf. Mm -hmm. It will only enhance your life. And that is what I would would still say mm -hmm. it is just so prevalent so you you are fully ensconced in the golf community now and you have a sense of things that are great and things that are problematic or worrisome what's the one piece of advice mm -hmm. that you would give white people in dealing mm -hmm. with people of color in mm -hmm. golf in a more inclusive way well, I would have to say more representation, um, you know, at, you know, the leadership roles. Absolutely. Um, secondly, I would say really to support with resources uh, and financial resources as well. Those grassroots organizations that are really doing the work in the trenches. That is where the biggest mm. gap is right now. Like women of color golf. <laughs> like women of color golf. Yeah, I mean, we're we're making that impact because it is our community. Um, what's your personal motto? My personal motto. Mm -hmm. So my personal motto would be live with purpose, and act with character. Mm, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. You want to say any more about that? Well, I mean, I think, you know, we all are looking for, you know, how, how can you make life better uh, for someone else, number one, and really, you know, finding that purpose and that joy, not only what will make you happy, but what will also make someone else happy and someone else will reap some benefits from it as well. So purpose, you know, in that respect. Okay. And then I definitely always believe um, 
in acting with character. I, I, I just think that character goes a long way. Um, trust me, you have to have a lot of thick skin and a lot of character to be the dot. Indeed. In most of the spaces that we've been in. Um, okay. And so I just personally believe, you know, find what you love and live it with purpose. And while you're living that with purpose, act with character. Good. One other thing before I get to my last question, or maybe two. I didn't ask, okay. was there anything that you did to cope or to manage when you were feeling the intensity of being the dot? Well, I can tell you right now, for me, it's going out there and hitting that golf ball. <laughs> <laughs> that will do it. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> that, you know, that it, it's just incredible. Uh, and for me, it's always uh, been some type of spiritual or physical activity that that would do it. But hitting a golf ball definitely is is number one. Very good. Is that, is that, is that it is. Thing, it absolutely is. That, is. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. That, and and, and I, I think I want to note again that you didn't start golfing at age 20, that you were well I, in the 50s. Yes, I was well uh-huh. into my 50s. And, and that's what just makes the story so beautiful and so powerful because I always like to say, and I encourage anyone, if you are physically able and capable of swinging a golf club, then you should do it. Wow. Wow, very cool. Was there anything that you thought today that I would ask you that you did not, that I did Mm. not ask you? No, I think you did a great job. Oh my gosh, yes, (laughs) you you did an awesome job. Okay, very good. So thank you. I appreciate it. I think you did a great job as well. Like I think that that people are going to want to go and look in (laughs) the thrift store and find them some clubs right now, because I guess you can golf in social distance. Oh, well, and and there, there you go. There's a whole nother thing. I mean, you know, most golf courses did not close down during the pandemic. You are absolutely right. Um, And and in closing, I I, I really would say it is really um, the best investment you can make in your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you to our guest daughter, Clemmy Perry, for joining me on this week's episode of Being the Dot. This episode was edited by Caroline Bone. Special thanks to our intern, Amanda Gillette. Our music is provided by Jocelyn. Being the Dot podcast is sponsored by davidsdeliciousdelights.com. davidsdeliciousdelights.com custom-made, personalized cakes, pies, cookies, and pastries made with a Southern flair. Visit davidsdeliciousdelights.com and use the coupon code being the dot for a 20% off discount of orders of $35.99 or more. davidsdeliciousdelights.com, bringing the yum to your front door. Join us next week when I sit down and talk to the brothers about their reactions to the George Floyd murder and the subsequent civil unrest. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.